Retro Rebel Gamecast episode 63 is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released every Friday, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me today is a special guest host, Cammie. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, well, I'm really excited to have you on the show. We've got special topics today, uh, very uh, uh, based specifically on uh, having you on this episode. So I'm excited. Today we're going to talk a lot about RPGs. So Thank you. I'm very excited too. <laughs> well, typically we start off by just kind of going around the room or back and forth. Uh, talking about what we're playing right now. So uh, are you playing anything right now? And if so, what is it? Um, yeah, so right now I'm getting through kind of all the post-ending stuff in Final Fantasy XV. Um, I'm nice. also playing... Thank you. Um, there's a lot of like post-credits material in that game, so I'm having fun with that. And then... Um, Finally got around to playing Breath of the Wild, and I'm replaying Final Fantasy IV. Replay now for those at home that maybe don't know, Final Fantasy IV, released in the United States, was released as Final Fantasy II. I think four was one of those ones that. Yeah, I think it was two. Yeah, because it was one, and then four was two, and then six was three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Took me a minute. Yes. yes. And, and I and we'll, we can talk about we'll get into that in, in a in a bit because I think two or four and six are two of my favorites. Um, but we'll you know we'll we'll go much more in depth on that in here in, in a little bit. So so pretty much Final Fantasy is what you've been playing. Yes, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I have been. I'm about maybe a third of the way through Octopath Traveler. So I've played, um, I've played all the characters, uh, through their first part of the story. And I know there's a tremendous amount of story after that. Um, but I've at least gotten all the characters at this point. I still, I, I, I didn't go in the order and most people went in a particular order. I don't know how familiar you are. Have you, have you heard much about this game? Have you played it? Not very much at all. I was actually about to ask, do you recommend it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And especially because you're a fan of the, uh, you know, the old school Japanese RPGs, turn-based stuff where, you know, the, the, especially Final Fantasy four and Final Fantasy six, um, this is right up your alley. This is exactly kind of a throwback to all of that stuff, uh, in terms of the characters and how the stories kind of weave in together, the music, uh, it's, it's it's I definitely recommend it, especially if if that's if that's kind of your thing, and you enjoy that stuff. So, um, okay. if you don't have a if you have a switch, it's the only that's the only catch I believe is you can't play it if you don't have a switch. Well, my brother has one, so I'll just go steal his. Well, there you go. Okay, we're very good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I've been playing that, uh, and then uh, in terms of massive RPGs. Um, Battle for Azeroth, the expansion for WoW, was released. And so I have pretty much divin, uh, uh, dove headfirst into that. And I'm already max level. When I say already. There are people that were max level within six hours. Uh, it's been two weeks. So uh, I think that's a, that is a sane amount of time to get to max level. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then, you know, now I'm kind of doing all the, all of the, activities you do after you've reached max level so there's tons of side quests that you can still do um i've enjoyed this expansion so much that i've done every single side quest on on all three leveling zones um which you know if you've ever played the game then you kind of know have a point of reference for that but i mean that's probably hundreds of quests <laughs> that's pretty amazing 
Yeah, um, but it's just so it's so good. They've done such a good job of writing uh, on this expansion of weaving a story and having cutscenes that kind of immerse you more into the game. So it's not like your typical uh, MMO where you're you know go fetch these ten things or whatever. And that's those are staples of MMOs. But in in this particular expansion, they've just done a really good job of making three distinct zones. For leveling, and I did mine on Alliance, and I wrote an article about it on on uh, the website. But if you if you go, I mean, if, if for the Alliance, you've got these three zones. You've got Tears Fall, um, which is where Boralus is, which is like the capital city um, of of the people there. Mm-hmm. Then you have uh, Stormsong, I believe. Stormsong is the other one. Uh, Storm Stormsong Keep Keep. Um, excuse me, maybe. And then you have Drusfar, and Drusfar is like this really spooky. You know, and it's it's like the biggest of the three zones, okay. um, and it's it's all witches and uh, demons and spells and and it's like in a in a really dark forest. It's kind of like if you know much if you've ever watched Harry Potter, uh-huh. you know when they go into the forest. And I can't remember what the forest is called. At this the time, Forbidden Forest, yeah. The forbid it is the whole the whole zone is the Forbidden Forest. Oh, nice. So it's always night. Uh, and everything is terrifying. So, uh, you know, there's these little, uh, you know, like if you've seen, if you've seen, uh, the Blair Witch Project and they, and you have all these like little dolls that are made out of sticks and strings and, uh, and they're all hanging from trees and they look like, like it's either a bad omen or a good omen, but you're not sure. And you don't want to go next near it. Uh, and and never invariably there's a witch there that wants to kill you and it's not like a a, a happy looking witch or a non terrifying looking witch it's hunchback with long fingers and and you know has a cackle voice and laughs and it's terrifying so the whole whole zone is that way but they tie all three of these zones which look distinctly different together with a story and they have okay. these cutscenes and everything so it actually does make sense if you get into it. Uh, in the overall much larger narrative of Warcraft and Azeroth and all of that. So, I mean, this is a story that's been going on for over 25 years and 14 years specifically in this uh, in this game. And so I think that's incredible that they've been able to do that. Um, and uh, this expansion has been my favorite so far. So I've spent it. I, I actually, when we get done with this, I'm going to play for 30 minutes probably and then go to sleep. And then I might get up in the morning and play before I have to go to work. So it's kind of that <laughs> nice. bad right now. So um, Nice. But anyway, yeah. So that's uh, that has been uh, what I've been playing. So, uh, well, that brings us to the second segment. And typically in the second se- segment, we talk about uh, some game news. Um, but because of this being a special episode... Uh, I didn't know if there was any gaming news that you were aware of that you wanted to talk about, but if not, we'd go right into kind of uh, talking about the topic. So was there anything that you wanted to discuss or anything that you had heard that you were excited about that you're looking forward to? Um, I know the uh, the Overwatch Summer Games event uh, ended, I think it was today, wasn't it? I, I think so. I think it did. Yeah, I was so sad. I spent the entire last week in Colorado helping my brother move into his apartment and I was out and doing all these like fantastic like nine mile like 12,000 foot hikes and they were wonderful. But then I got back and I was like, I missed the summer event. Great. (laughs) Well, I heard that they're actually are they adding two more teams uh, to the Overwatch uh, to the to the league? Yeah, yeah, that'd be I'm I'm excited about the league. Well, it's it's doing tremendous things for professional gaming. Um, it's it's really, a, I, I find that really fascinating. Just because uh, my day job and, and dealing with exercise and and physical activity and and all of this stuff and sports in general, but then also seeing that uh, games are being recognized as a sport and games are being recognized as a much more legitimate medium. And so, yeah, it's it's really cool. They had the the Houston team, the Houston Outlaws. They had them at RTX this year. Um, Did they? Yeah, yeah, it was great. They went up against um, what's RTX's gaming like? Funhouse, I think, is that it? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but they uh, they played they played a match and they got just obliterated by the Houston 
outlaws because of course they're a professional team and they know what they're doing um right, at least right, when i was right. watching they were just getting their butts handed to them but it was all in good fun <laughs> absolutely no and it's fun and i'm i am absolutely uh terrible at overwatch but i like to play it uh, <laughs> same you know, so so uh yeah i'm also not very great at fortnite but um i don't i don't really care so. Yeah, well, the the great the great irony is that I am terrible. Any first person shooter, I'm just like, and of course, I play seven. I main seventy six because I'm awful at Overwatch. Well, um, see, and that's the that's the character that I think I would kind of want to try to get good at because it's the only one that I kind of understand, and it's the one that's in the tutorial. So yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's that's the the irony for me is that I main him. I'm terrible with him, um, but like in real life like i have like my tactical certification and i do like competitive shooting in real life and i'm good at it but you put me you give me a video game controller and i'm just nope oh yeah well you know it is a little different (laughs) just a little bit so to your to your credit it is a little bit different so i I wouldn't hold that against you well that's awesome yeah i i I actually didn't you know i mean there are uh, there are some news stories out there right now, but uh, nothing in particular that I really wanted to discuss. <laughs> I wanted to keep this light. Okay. Uh, so, um, but that's exciting. So, uh, but moving into our topic, I-, I wanted to start out really just by talking about RPGs in general. So, for you, you know, you know, I addressed at the beginning that Final Fantasy is one of your. I mean, it's your favorite. For the most yes. part. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. Uh, big fan of, our, of of Final Fantasy. What got you into, like, just describe your experience of, you know, getting into Final Fantasy, playing it for the first time. What what drew you to that game? And, and what is it what is it about that series that, that kind of has, uh, I guess, captured your attention? Yeah. Okay. So the first time, the first Final Fantasy I ever played was Final Fantasy VII. Um, and this was kind of my first exposure to not just like Final Fantasy, but gaming as a whole. I mean, of course I, I grew up in the nineties, right? I was a late nineties child. Um, so, you know, I grew up playing Pokemon, like I grew up playing Mario Kart on the N64 or whatever, but I was never a quote unquote gamer, um, until like, I think it was like freshman year of high school. I, a friend of mine had the, had the, um, the DVD sequel, the movie sequel to Final Fantasy VII. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that. Yeah, Advent Children. Like, the, the original that yeah. was released in 06, not the 2010 remake, which is arguably so much better. But, yeah, so we're, she was Yeah, like, I don't oh. have the 2010 one, yeah. Oh, I love the 2010 one. But, um, yeah, so the original on DVD and was kind of... We were hanging out at my house and she was like, oh, it's this really cool, like, animated movie. We should watch it. And I was like, cool, what's it about? And she had never played the game. So she was like... I don't really know, but it's cool and there are great fight scenes. And I was like, okay. So I watched the movie. Um, and of course, like it looks really cool, even if you have no idea what's going on, and which I didn't because I was like 13. And the movie wasn't the greatest at providing backstory if you hadn't played yeah, the game. No, it is. If you watch it, it's incoherent if you have not played the game. Yeah, there's no, it would not make sense. Right? It made zero sense, but it looked really cool. So then, like, the next week at school, I was telling a friend of mine about, oh, yeah, it was, like, this cool, like, Final Fantasy movie or whatever. And some other guy in the class overheard me. And he was like, oh, are you talking about Advent Children? And I was like, yeah, do you know what that is? And he was like, yeah, did you play the game? And I was like, no. And he was like, would you like to? And I was like, absolutely. (laughs) So he lent me his PlayStation and his copy of FF7 for the rest of the semester and, uh, like I said, I was 13 and just decided to play it and kind of instantly fell in love almost. Um, there was something I felt that was really, really unique in uh, the fact that it was very, the narrative structure was very character driven. And that was something that at the time I wasn't seeing in a lot of some, in some of the other media I was consuming. Um, you know, so you had this kind of, I mean, you know, what made FF7 and then by extension the later FFs great was just the fact that it's you lo- in playing with these 
very strong characters, I think you learn yeah. a lot about like your relationship with others and your relationship with yourself because yeah. you're learning so much about like what qualities you like and what qualities you dislike and when you learn how you like to see someone grow and learn in their lives, it yeah. kind of can inform the way that you grow and learn in your own life. Yeah. Um, of course, that no, was yeah. something I could articulate at the time, but that <laughs> at some subconscious level, I think that's what grabbed me. Um, yeah. So, you know, I fell in love with seven and then ended up, you know, 12 years later and I've played almost every single game in the series. I think that one of the things about this game that I, or that series that, that drew me to it, because I played the very first one kind of when it came out, had never played an RPG um, before that. I don't, I don't think, I think that was my very first one. I may have actually played dragon warrior before that. Again, this is the late eighties, early nineties. Um, <laughs> so uh, like right when it came out is is when I played it. So I was I was young. Um, I had never played anything like it before. Uh, the whole idea of grinding and and you know random boss random encounters. Uh, Dragon Warrior didn't really have much in in the way of uh, character development. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't really know. I mean, the the main character doesn't really have a personality or you know characteristics to speak of. But it was a good intro into kind of the what are the mechanics? How you know how does this work? You know, building a party, getting new gear, and and dungeon crawling and stuff like that. That was kind of my mm -hmm. introduction to it. And then you do, and then you take uh, play the original Final Fantasy on on Nintendo, and the learning curve is super steep. Like if you <laughs> go back and try to play that game in now, or if you've never played one. It's it's actually pretty. It can get really difficult. Like the it, it's like in Skyrim, when you venture out from the city and you go the wrong direction, uh -huh. and you and you end up you know with the giants and they one shot you, yeah, because you weren't supposed to be in that area yet. You know that's only the difference is is it's a random encounter and you just happen to go too far and they one shot you. You know and you just didn't know that. So you know there's a steep learning curve and you learn really quickly where to go and where not to go. Uh, and kind of what the mechanics are. But again, there wasn't any character development. Like you didn't, your main character was, you know, you picked him and it had a class, but you had no, there was nothing else to speak of. Really. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until you had, like you said, I think the later editions, and, and for me it was four, but then eventually seven, where you have a character that's kind of fleshed out and you know the motivations and you kind of understand who they are and you can get into who the ever the character is and, 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 I, I think they just added so much more to the experience. Like in four, when the twins, spoiler alert, you know, with what happens to the twins yep. and, and it's actually kind of an emotional event uh, for a game that I was like, wow, that's, I'm not used to that being part of the experience. And I was like, man, that's, that's really cool. And I really appreciated that. Um, and, you know, to this day, I think I've probably bought it on every format I can buy it on. Uh, -huh. uh, you know, I, I don't have my, uh, DS anymore, but, uh, when I had that, I, I had it on there as well. With the but terrible, I've got like 3d, like chippy design. Yes. Oh, it's God. Just, it was awful. I have the remastered one on from steam though. So that's the, that's the only one that I, that I could probably put my hands on at the moment. Um, okay. but still, uh, you know, that, that's kind of what got me into RPGs. And so from there, it just kind of blossomed. You know, so I played seven and obviously seven was, uh, you know, instrumental and in, in really continuing and, and maybe even uh, cultivating that love a little bit more because it again, it expanded on it. I, I don't think there was anything since three or six because six was a big game. Yeah. Yeah. Six was a really big game. In fact, I'm ashamed to say that I don't think I finished six. Um, I think I got to if you remember, I think I got to the part where um is it, I think his name's Cyan or, or, uh, what, who, one of, what, one of your main characters, uh, and there's this, this really big mansion building has lots of levels on it and you are going up each level and you get to the very top and there's like a boss at the very top. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like a haunted mansion too, or something. I can't, I can't remember the, the exact details. I know it wasn't at the end of the game, but I know for a fact that was where, that was where my game ended. Um, I never got past that part and just kind of stopped playing it. Did um, you 
did you end up getting to the world of ruin or not? I think so. I okay. think I was in the world of ruin. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I know that I had all the characters. I know I was on the airship at the time. Okay. Uh, and then wherever, whatever level I was on, there was no turning back. Like it was, you, uh, you were on a series, you started this series of events and you couldn't like go back to the airship. There was no going anywhere else. I was kind of stuck in, um, and so maybe I was close to the end. I don't know. If you, if you know where I was, if you know where I am right now, let us know in the comments. Yes, please do. Cause I haven't played that game in years either. I need yeah. to go back. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that, you know, and that one added to it, uh, seven. And then from there, um, eight, I loved, uh, I believe eight was the one where you could breed chocobos. Is that correct? No, seven, seven was the chocobo breeding. Okay. Seven was the one where you could breed chocobos. Okay. Uh, I know that there was something about Chocobos in 8, um, but I, I don't remember it as well because, uh, you know, Ruby Weapon and Emerald Weapon and, and all of the big baddies in 7, I remember those things. And I remember, you know, trying to get the best uh, Chocobo and breeding the Chocobo so you can get the fastest one. And and uh, and I thought that was fantastic. But it was 9, I think, was 9 maybe of those, of all of those uh, PlayStation uh, iterations. I think nine is my favorite. Nine actually maybe I may like nine more than I do seven or eight, but I, th maybe that's just me. And I think that's because it went back to the old formula of kind of more fantasy. Yeah. And the more kind of medieval setting rather than that, like uh, industrial. Yeah. Cyberpunk yeah. kind of sci-fi thing they had going, which was fine too. But I mean, I, I kind of, that's where it started for me. And that's, I liked that it went back to that, but from there, I mean, have there been any other? What what other RPGs uh, did this kind? I mean, you you got into Final Fantasy, but were there any other RPGs that really took any of your time? Um, so I definitely, of course, branched off into Final Fantasy first and kind of expanded throughout the Final Fantasy universe, so to speak. Um, after seven, um, from there, uh, of course, I got into like the Zelda games and stuff like that. Um. It wasn't until I really hit college that I kind of branched out into like Dragon Age and Skyrim. Um, and then after college, when I was in uh, paramedic school, actually, was when I finally got around to playing Mass Effect. Um, very nice. Very in a good game. A yes, game. I'm a nerd and I have two Mass Effect tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. What, now, what are they? So I have, um, all right. So the first one is basically I have in Morse code kind of on the inside of my arm, uh, shepherds, like one of the last lines of the third game, like, okay, spoiler alert for spoiler anybody? alert for yeah. anybody who has not finished the original mass effect trilogy. But at the end of the third game, shepherd is, he's been shot in the stomach he's dying he just like killed like his father figure and everything's going wrong but he finally gets to like sit down and rest because everything is over and then the admiral comes over the radio because nope everything's not over something went wrong and Shepard, who is like pretty much accepted the fact he's going to die at this point just doesn't yeah. even hesitate he just kind of says what do you need me to do um, and so I actually have that, um, tattooed in Morse code on the inside of my arm, just because I worked for a while as a paramedic, um, and as a, you know, a SWAT medic and all that. Wow. And that kind of, thank you, that level of kind of like selflessness and put your own hurts and issues aside to like save other people was really kind of something I tried to emulate in my job. So for me, that tattoo, uh, the what do you need me to do is really important. Um, and I it's something I tried to live by. So I got that tattooed. Um, and then my other Mass Effect tattoo is a quote from uh, Caden Alenko, who I saved in the first game because he's awesome. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you. I think I let him die. I, to be honest, I... I think I let him die. I saved the girl. Yeah. Oh, that. that... He was such a whiner in the first game. He really? was such a whiner. So Dude, you need to talk to him more because, like, that was one of my favorite things about Caden is that literally you had to go on a side quest for every single other person on your ship almost because they all yeah, needed you your did. help getting closure with something. Except Caden. Caden, who's over here, and when you try to talk to him about it, about, like, his 
past where he like murdered a guy when he was 17 or whatever. Um, his response is like, look, I've dealt with it. I've moved on. Like, I, I don't need your help dealing with this. I'm cool. And so that was my favorite thing is everyone else needed your help to get some closure in their personal life. And Caden's over here like, I'm handling it. I'm well adjusted. I'm good. <laughs> um, See, and maybe that's the case. I guess I just, he always had something to say. And I, I played the game as renegade for the most part. <laughs> okay. So he did not agree with a lot of my actions. And so, you know, I definitely, when I had to choose, when you have to pick between the two of them, uh-huh. I was like, ah, he can die. I guess he can die. It's okay. Um, uh, you know, he, he fought well for uh, the Normandy and for Shepard and he die well. He will die well. Okay. That's, that's fair. When I, to be fair, when I got to that point in the game, I was actually at my mom's house and I was playing it. And so my mom and my dad and my brother were all there. Both my parents are career military officers. My brother's going into the military. So I'm, and then you got me, I'm a medic, right? So I'm kind of in this pseudo military and then I've got three military members with me and they're all sitting there as I'm playing through this. So we get to the choice and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to save Caden because like, I like Caden, but also because I have these, all these military guys here going, well, obviously you save Caden because number one, he's an officer and Ashley, as much as, you know, she was awesome, she's not. And number two, Caden is mission critical. So sorry she's in i mean don't get me wrong i love enlisted i thought they were both useless uh, to be honest That's just fair. for me if i didn't have rex uh then it you know yeah. it didn't matter and rex i took everywhere because he's a tank yeah and so yeah yeah rex is awesome but yeah so i had all these military guys going well obviously like who's mission critical it doesn't matter who you like whose position needs See? to be secured and i'm like well caden's got the bomb caden's mission critical Therefore, I have to go to Caden's position. I can dig. I dig the the, the military perspective. Yeah, and and uh, you know, or, or or at least that train of thought. I I <laughs> never thought of it that way. Although I thought about like who worked best, and you know, that may be something. That we'll we'll get into that. I think that's I think that's also something that's interesting. Uh, yeah, like particular choices for stuff like that. Because in in that game, I definitely let Caden die. But in the second game. Um, my save didn't, didn't transfer, but I was able to save pretty much everybody by the end, you know, because you, uh-huh. you do that, um, you do that final mission. Again, these are right, spoilers to- for games that are 10 years old. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you have to try to save everybody, but, uh, I believe it was Thane that was dying anyway. Mm-hmm. I think Thane was pretty much the only one that I lost. Okay. At the end uh, of the game, besides, you know, you die, but, um, yeah, the, uh, anyway, so he was the only one that I think died on that one, but there was, there was some, I think it was in the second game. There was some, uh, content that you could, there's, I think there was some DLC for the second game where you could get a, wasn't there a, a thief, like a female thief yes. was that in the second game? She was maybe the best character in the game, right? Oh, I loved her. Yeah, she was, she was, I took her, once you could get her, or there was one other character, and these are the, once you had these two characters, you really didn't need to take anybody else, everybody else was useless, and Garrus, I apologize, you you were not, <laughs> you were not worthy when you had these other two, uh, they, there was they a, there Garrus. was a mercenary, they did, uh, there was a mercenary that you could get as DLC, yep. and if you went to, um, oh, what's the, what's the club planet, that you could go to uh, where all the sorry live. Um, you know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, shadow broker was there. Yes, because um, Liara had taken over his job. Yes. And taken um, over. She killed him. <laughs> yeah, it, well, taken over in quotes. Uh, yeah. Big, heavy quotes. Um, yeah, anyway, so right when you walk into, uh, like you're walking into the club, he's standing right there. If you buy the DLC, you talk to him on your way out, he'll just meet you on your ship. And so... Next time you go on on a mission, you can take him wherever you go. For whatever reason, he's not in the next game. He's I don't know if he died, and and I guess she just went on and and did something else. I don't remember. Did something happen to those two characters? So so if you completed their loyalty missions, they'll briefly yeah. show up in three. I know uh, Zaid, the mercenary. Yeah, he shows up like very briefly. I don't even remember the context of him being mentioned or showing up in three. I know uh, 
Kasumi asks the thief, she asks for your help with a job or something. You get dragged into that. Um, yeah, she's got to steal something from someone or something. Yeah, it was it was one of the one of the jellyfish people. Um, <laughs> I'm forgetting the <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, uh, I can't remember their names either. Yeah, but yeah, but one of them is like, oh, I'm gonna side with the Reapers, and Kasumi's trying to like put a stop to it or something but yeah so if you did your loyalty mission in two and she survives the end of two she'll show up for that one mission that one side quest in three and if you do that then you'll get like um the war points or whatever that kind of determined your strength yeah she'll give yeah get like a certain number of war points because she'll go like oh yeah i'll help the war effort well good why i didn't know that i did not know that uh uh, that they would show up, and that's cool if they actually were a part of uh, the third game. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, since we're on the topic, I'd like to get your opinion. What what did you think of the end? The actual end that not the not the you know tacked on end, but the actual end of Mass Effect Three. So I never played through the end without like the the extended edition where they put in like the extra scenes and the extra ending and stuff because so because they released that extra bit like in like 2013 i only played the game for the first time like two years ago okay so i went into it and my friend who was telling me to play the game through literally my entire undergrad was like play it play it. he's like no, no no you need to download all the dlc that's associated with three install it all before you even touch the game so I went in playing the extended edition thinking that was just the end. And I was like, oh, it was it was actually pretty good. A little abrupt and, you know, but, you know, yeah. I really liked it. And then he was like, oh, that's because the DLC fixed the original end. And I was like, oh, but th- thank you for giving oh, me a heads yeah. up at, ahead of time, I guess. Yeah, you didn't you didn't even get to see it uh, before all the see, like I got the DLC when whatever the DLC was where you could go back for one last mission with all of the characters and it really was just like a party at the, the Citadel, the Citadel. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that was, that was good. I, that was kind of what my ultimate, that was my ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't hate the ending. I actually liked the ending. I thought the ending was fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I had absolutely no problem with it. I had absolutely, uh, I, I actually, once I made my decision, um, to sacrifice, I think I sacrificed. I definitely got rid of the Reapers. Mm-hmm. Reavers. Reavers? Reapers? Reapers. Reapers. The Reavers are from Firefly. Serenity. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Very good. Um, I always get those two mixed up. I can't. Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the Reapers, I, I got I got rid of them, but I, I, I can't remember if I, because I wanted to make sure that I saved my artificial intelligence uh, crew members. Yeah. So I didn't want to destroy the Geth. I didn't want to destroy... Uh, the you know some of my other crew members but i did want to get rid of the reapers so i know that that uh shepherd definitely was sacrificed uh but i enjoyed it i enjoyed the ending and and uh, was happy with the way that it went and so i i was never one of those that was that was upset about it so yeah i mean my only complaint was that it felt maybe a little bit abrupt and there were a couple things yeah. where i was just like okay that's like a nice coincidence but not to the point that i was like i am mad about this or i actively yeah. dislike it did you and now have you gone back and seen the indoctrination videos? I haven't seen the videos, but I have heard the theory. Okay. There is a really good indoctrination video theory that's about two hours long. It may be longer than that. But it goes over chapter and verse all of the signs that say that they were trying to indoctrinate you as Shepherd. And that Anderson was indoctrinated and the elusive man was indoctrinated. And if you go by the theory, it is really difficult not to believe. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm on the, I'm on that, that hype train. I'm definitely on that, that, uh, uh, that particular, uh, conspiracy theory that, that uh, they were trying to, because it just, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Oh, I'm 100% Uh, on board with the elusive man being indoctrinated. So I'm excited to Go watch the yeah, theory. Yeah, I would go back. If you get a chance, go back and watch it because it, it goes into, it starts from the beginning of the game and the destruction, you know, of much of Earth or, or whenever they attack mm-hmm. uh, that, that first time and, and uh, some of the things that 
it's just good. I don't want to spoil it. I'll let you. I'll let you go watch it. But it's it's definitely worth it. And anybody else that hasn't seen it yet, it's one of those conspiracy theories that has a lot of legs. Okay. It has, it has, it has strong legs. Uh, that one. That one. I think I would. I could definitely buy. So. Okay. Well, that brings us to our our last segment, and and we could probably we'll probably have to do this again, Cami. So just so you know, we'll 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 revisit uh, some of these RPG topics because I have a feeling there's a lot that we won't get to cover here that I'd like to. Okay. Um, but I definitely wanted to get to this, uh, and this could have been its own episode, really, uh, without the other two topics. But I'd like to talk about a little bit of the background about how gaming kind of borrows from real life to create these new living, breathing worlds. And what I mean by that is that how it how it borrows from history, how it borrows from mythology, how it borrows from, uh, you know, our uh, everyday, you know, everyday normal activities and stuff like that and, and, and things that we experience to create something completely new and different, you know, these living, breathing worlds. So you actually have a little bit of background in this area. So why don't you tell them, tell everybody about kind of your experience in this and 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 uh and some of the things that you know you know so uh to flesh this out okay yeah absolutely so one of my undergraduate degrees was in medieval and early modern history and while i was doing my undergrad um one of the classes i took was on norse mythology and skyrim and it was fantastic. Um, shout out to Dr. Donna Beth Ellard. Um, she was teaching this course at Rice University. She's brilliant, brilliant woman, and she loved Skyrim. Decided she also, you know, wanted to talk about how, kind of from a psychoanalytic perspective, we take from Norse mythology to make things like Skyrim and why it's popular, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of where my background is a little bit is just coming at it from a kind of historical perspective. Right. I would say that you have uh, a, a, an impressive level of credibility. So go on. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah. So this is something, you know, we were kind of talking about and just kind of the idea about the idea of why so many of these video games that we like, that we enjoy take from kind of the medieval period you know i mean if you look at right the the first six uh, you could argue about six but at least the first five final fantasies you know a little bit of six definitely nine you know and yeah. even a little bit of 12 um you could argue kind of comes from this very very medieval world and then of course on top of that um you know Skyrim, of course, comes from uh, medieval Norse um, sagas, yeah, mythology and sagas and stuff. And it's just so much of it is wildly popular. And so a lot of it's like, okay, well, why? What makes the Middle Ages such a popular period to look at, you know? Right. Um, it's super, super interesting. Yeah, and I agree. There, you know, one of the things that I've always I didn't know this at the time, but as I, you know, as I went up up the up the chain, up the ladder, school wise, and I learned more and more about, uh, you know, the world and and mythology and history, uh, I started picking up on things that I was actually learning in games. And so, for instance, in Final Fantasy, there are certain they they introduced. Um, you know your your espers or your your uh the uh, the oh what else they've called them multiple things throughout the games but your summons basically mm -hmm. uh they would they would name these summons and these summons were actually gods from other cultures a lot of times so you'd have shiva or you'd have you actually had a multiple uh hindu gods mm -hmm. that you would that you actually would call and you had fire and and uh ice i believe uh, that were two of two of the gods that you would call. Um, you had Odin was one that you would call. You'd have, uh, I mean, Final Fantasy drew from multiple mythologies, including Japanese mythology. And so mm -hmm. you had uh, Masamune, I believe. I'm probably butchering that. Uh, but that is the katana. That's like the, one of the most powerful swords, I think, in seven yep. um, that you can get. And that is a, that is a mythological or a historical uh, sword from Japanese history. So... Uh, you know, I was I picked up on these little things. I was like, oh, I know that. You know, oh, oh, I know that. Um, one of the best examples, and this was an article I wrote a few years ago uh, when I first started at Temple of Geek, 
and it was probably the least clicked article on the website, probably <laughs> because it was on uh, Chinese history. But <laughs> the but it was about the article was really tying together. I wrote two of these actually. I wrote one on Tenchu and uh, the history of ninjas in Japanese culture, and then kind of tied it to the game Tenchu. Um, and then I also wrote one, and this was one of my favorite articles, about Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Okay. And and the history of, uh, and I, I don't know which dynasty it was in Chinese history, but um, all of the characters in Romance of the Three Kingdoms are actual historical figures from China. And... So when you're playing the game or if you play Dynasty Warriors, I mean, I, I mentioned this to somebody the other day. They're like, are you serious? Well, what about Lu Bu? I'm like, Lu Bu is one of the most powerful generals of the time. And, you know, and so you're actually playing somebody. Yes, he's really good in the game, but he was like a really powerful general in real life, you know. And so uh, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't realize I was playing a historical game. I, I, I thought I was playing a turn based strategy game, you know, uh, where you. You, you're a resource management game. Um, so uh, anyway, so there are a number of examples, you know, where games borrow from history and games borrow from mythology. Yeah, no, just building on that, um, there was this uh, Italian uh, philosopher and medievalist, uh, Umberto Eco, who like he once said basically that like looking at the middle ages means kind of looking at our infancy like the middle ages are the root of all of our kind of contemporary hot problems yeah so it's really not surprising that we go back to that period every time we examine or like ask ourselves kind of about our origin because you're seeing this time period in which all these problems emerged in a like glorified heroic manner and at least to some degree, it's like, well, if you can defeat the greatest evil in that world, then like today's evils are aren't as much of a problem. They're manageable. Um, but that's not yeah. just yeah. it's what really fascinates me is that it's not just unique to like the authors or the audience. It happens within the narratives as well. Um, if you look at Skyrim, right, you are the dragonborn. But to yeah. find out more about your heritage as dragonborn, you have to venture into, you know, all these tombs. And essentially, you have to venture into the world of the Draugrs, right? So you have right. to go into this past world to find out more about your heritage and about yourself. Um, you see this in 4 as well, Final Fantasy 4. Cecil, he goes to Mount Ordeals, right, to face his past self in order to discover who he really is, discover his true potential, right? Right, um, right. You get that in seven, Cloud looking to the past to figure out his true self, his memories. Uh, in eight, Squall goes into the dreams of his father, at least never confirmed, we're assuming Lagoon is his dad, right? In order right. to remember all of these memories that he lost because of the GFs. So, like, you see it kind of again and again and again, this idea of, in the narrative, looking to the past to determine the present and the future, but also from the audience's perspective, looking to the past, i.e. the medieval period, to learn, at least on subconscious, some subconscious level, about the present, and that informs the future. And that's just fascinating to me. Yeah, I I never thought of it that way. But I mean, there are. It almost seems sometimes that some of the content in these in the Final Fantasy games is on another level. It's almost like Hideo Kojima level. Are they trolling us? Are they just really? I mean, are they on another level in terms of storytelling that I'm just not getting this? You know, I'm just because like in eight, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and so is it because I'm stupid or is it because this game is just really complicated uh, and, and it, you know, and the and the themes are, are, you know, are deep or maybe it's just not supposed to make sense. I don't know. Um, is was he is he dead? Is this just a dream? Uh, all of those things are potential uh, outcomes in, in that particular game and might make more sense than the actual game did. Uh, so but anyway. You know, to your point, just saying that it, they uh, these and they've gotten more and more complicated. You know, these uh, the the MMO narratives have gotten more complicated because they're able to do more with the technology. 
they're able to tell better stories. They're able to give you know the the player actually um, agency over the character, so that whenever they're experiencing something, they have more of an influence over the outcome of the events. Mm-hmm. Which which I guess kind of gets away from the point of you know how does this how is history affecting this. I was just going to say that what you said about agency is really interesting because I think that's part of what makes these games so unique is because the player wields agency, which allows a a unique form of kind of engagement with historical discourse, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially given that, like, you know, history is so anchored within, like, the mediums in which it is transferred, you know? Um, Yeah. And what's interesting to me is like the form of the games, essentially how this particular audio visual narrative structures kind of interrelate and operate, you know, to produce meaning and allow the player to kind of explore this historical discourse is super interesting. So I think you can't, I feel like you can't really talk about the historical context or the historical backing of a game without considering kind of the form and the player's agency and all of that. Just because it's such a unique way of engaging with history. Yeah, you know, and and I think it it it's worth you know it, it's worth at least uh, discussing that whether or not we you know whether or not we uh, you actually know the history or whether or not you are aware that some of this stuff is based in history. I don't think it necessarily takes away from your ability to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I think it actually it does add a, another level to it. If you do understand kind of where it's coming from and, and then you can take that as well as your, you know, the agency you have with the character and your then the discourse that you're able to have due to understanding the bigger picture of, of uh, you know, just of all of the factors that are kind of uh, intertwining to create the story. I mean, I think it just adds a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the experience so yeah but yeah anyway so i i think that ultimately uh i don't think that we're going to see um history uh or or or, uh, these rpgs borrowing from history change anytime soon in fact i think what they're ultimately i think that what i do think we're going to see is uh some of these uh rpgs are going to kind of shift from fantasy um, and fantasy elements and going to the medieval, I think that you're going to see more of them go the way of future, but maybe not necessarily uh, what we consider like the dystopian future. I think we're going to see like what we're seeing with um, um, Almost Human, mm-hmm. I believe it was, uh, Detroit Almost Human, I believe yeah. it was, um, which I played, I should know. I, I mean, I played it, I finished <laughs> it. Uh, and it was a great game, and it was one of those games, the David Cage games, that uh, that gives you a tremendous amount of influence over the character, and all of all the decisions, and multiple characters through multiple uh, storylines, and and how they all weave together, and and uh, you there, I think there were dozens of endings for that game, maybe more than that, maybe hundreds of endings for that game. I mean, where your character could have died off very early in the game, and then that character's gone. There is no game over screen. You just keep going, mm-hmm. and you just keep playing with the other two characters, and uh, and you wouldn't even know that there was another way for that to go, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, unless you played it again. Um, but but I think that we're gonna we may see because you can still go through and 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 uh, live in these worlds and deal with topics that I think are uh, that are pertinent, but not necessarily deal maybe from a historical standpoint. In fact, I think one of the things that's awesome about uh, role-playing games in general is that you can do a lot of social commentary uh, in a fantastical world, whether it be futuristic or in space or uh, more uh, high fantasy and deal with, you know, social topics uh, that are relevant and, and maybe have always been relevant, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in mass effect, you see, um, civil rights issue yeah you know where you have you know uh races that are are you know there's inequality and in, and in where they're asked to live or who, what jobs are even able to have i mean i think there's actually a couple quests where you that is a the actual quest it's something that has to do with civil rights or inequality or 
uh, or something of that nature. I mean, yep. is that if I remember that correctly? Yes, uh, the uh, the quarians. They're more. I think they're. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah side things where they were like being unjustly accused of theft or whatever and you know you have the option to either step in and say hey like hey whoa no hold up or you have the option to just be like oh yeah whatever they totally are kill them yeah uh and i you know side note and since we're you know just as an aside i think what was what was her name what was the talia i think it's tally 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 was uh, my the, my romantic choice, I think, in the second game, I think. Was it the second game? Whichever game, I think I had a different romantic choice on, in all three of the games. But, uh, because as Shepard, you could do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think Tally was my choice. Because I was really interested what she looked like under the, the helmet. <laughs> and then I they just, never showed you. They don't really show you. No, they don't. Um, but, you know, and so, you know, that was... Uh, wasted time for the most part, but nonetheless, I mean, it, it was uh, that was my particular choice. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, whatever. But, um, it worked out for Shepard. Yeah. Hey. Going back just super quick to what you were saying about um, re- like reframing contemporary issues in various settings in games and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. The what interests me? Well. You kind of have this idea with like gaming um, or any kind of narrative that you're dealing with this kind of like essentially play space that allows you to frame a fantasy with lots of baggage, such as civil rights issue, you know, anything in the modern world, pretty much kind of in a way that is, quote unquote, safe. And in a way that, you know, if something goes wrong, you can press the reset button. And that kind of really allows you to explore these contemporary issues in a safe way so to speak yeah um yeah yeah, i'm I'm working on an article right now actually talking about that um with skyrim so keep an eye out for that very nice Um, awesome yeah so it's just just interesting that you were mentioning that because i'm like oh that's great that's what i'm writing about right now so nice segue yeah absolutely well keep your eyes open for that and uh that will be on the side soon uh hopefully and and uh we will revisit this topic um at least in 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 the uh from the perspective of maybe just going deeper into other uh, role-playing games and, and kind of their influence, maybe just on us and our love of gaming, but also maybe just getting into talking about some of those games. Because, um, to be honest, there I, I need to go back and revisit some of them, and I kind of want to just I kind of just want to talk about them. So I think that would be fun. So you'll have to come back and discuss that with us. I would be more than happy to. That would be awesome. Awesome. Well, good. Well, thank you for coming. And that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Cammy for this week's discussion. All of the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templategeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. 